0: Welcome back to another edition of Public Domain Read-Along, Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bront, here with the Womance team. We've got an even chapter, chapter six will be read by me, Isabeau. Yeah. And just to bring y'all up to date, Jane has left her Ebenezer Scrooge of an aunt and wretched cousins to come live at Lowood School. And she just had her first day and it was pretty bleak, but I think she's still adjusting. So with that, chapter six.
1: The next day commenced as before, getting up and dressing by rushlight. but this morning we were obliged to dispense with the ceremony of washing. The water in the pitchers was frozen. A change had taken place in the weather the preceding evening, and a keen northeast wind whistling through the crevices of our bedroom windows all night long had made us shiver in our beds and turned the contents of the ewers to ice. Before the long hour and a half prayers and Bible reading was over, I felt ready to perish with cold. Breakfast time came at last, and this morning the porridge was not burnt. The quality was edible, the quantity small. How small my portion seemed, I wish it had been doubled. In the course of the day I was enrolled a member of the fourth class, and regular tasks and occupations were assigned me. Hitherto I had only been a spectator of the proceedings at Lowood. I was now to become an actor therein. At first, being little accustomed to learn by heart, the lessons lessons appeared to me both long and difficult. The frequent change from task to task, too, bewildered me, and I was glad when about three o'clock in the afternoon, Miss Smith put into my hands a border of muslin two yards long, together with needle, thimble, etc., and sent me to sit in a quiet corner of the schoolroom, with directions to hem the same. At the hour, most of the others were sewing likewise, but one class still stood, round Miss Scatcherd's chair reading, and as all was quiet, the subject of their lessons could be heard, together with the manner in which each class girl acquitted herself and the animativersions or commendations of miss Scatcherd on the performance it was english history among the readers i observed my acquaintance of the veranda at the commencements of the lesson her place had been at the top of the class but for some error of pronunciation or some inattention to stops she was suddenly sent to the very bottom even in that obscure position, Miss Scatcherd continued to make her an object of constant notice. She was continually addressing to her such phrases as the following. Burns, such it seems, was her name. The girls here were called by their surnames, as boys are elsewhere. Burns, you are standing on the side of your shoe. Turn your toes out immediately. Burns, you poke your chin most unpleasantly. Draw it in. Burns, I insist on your holding your head up. I will not have you before me in that attitude. Et cetera, et cetera. A chapter having been read through twice, the books were closed and the girls examined. The lesson had comprised part of the reign of Charles I, and there were sundry questions about tonnage and poundage and ship money, which most of them appeared unable to answer. Still, every little difficulty was solved instantly when it reached Burns. Her memory seemed to have retained the substance of the whole lesson, and she was ready with answers on every point. I kept expecting Miss Scatcherd would praise her attention, but instead of that, she suddenly cried out, You dirty disagree! girl you have never cleaned your nails this morning burns made no answer i wondered at her silence why thought i does she not explain that she could neither clean her nails nor wash her face as the water was frozen my attention was now called off by miss smith desiring me to hold a skein of thread while she was winding it she talked to me from time to time asking whether i had ever been at school before whether i could mark stitch knit till she dismissed me. I could not pursue my observations on Miss Scatcherd's movements. When I returned to my seat, the lady was just delivering an order of which I did not catch the import, but Burns immediately left the class and going into a small inner room where the books were kept, returned in a half minute, carrying in her hand a bundle of twigs tied together at one end. This ominous tool she presented to Miss Scatcherd with respectful courtesy. Then she quietly and without being told, unloosed her pinafore and the teacher instantly and sharply inflicted on her neck a dozen strokes with a bunch of twigs not a tear rose to burns's eye and while i paused from my sewing because my fingers quivered at this spectacle with a sentiment of unavailing and impotent anger not a feature of her pensive face altered its ordinary expression
0: god miss scatchard
1: Hardened girl, exclaimed Miss Scatcherd. Nothing can correct you of your slatternly habits.
0: Slatternly? Oh my god. Yeah, it escalated.
1: Carry the rod away. Burns obeyed. I looked at her narrowly as she emerged from the book closet. She was putting back her handkerchief into her pocket, and the trace of a tear glistened on her thin cheek. The play hour in the evening I thought the pleasantest fraction of the day at Lowood. The bit of bread, the draught of coffee, swallowed at five o'clock had revived vitality if it had not satisfied hunger. The long restraint of the day was slackened, the schoolroom felt warmer than in the morning, its fires being allowed to burn a little more brightly to supply, in some measure, the place of candles not yet introduced. The ruddy gloaming, the licensed uproar, the confusion of many voices gave one a welcome sense of liberty. On the evening of the day on which I had seen Miss Scatcherd flog her pupil burns, I wandered as usual among the forms and tables and laughing groups, without a companion, yet not feeling lonely. When I passed the windows, I now and then lifted a blind and looked out. It snowed fast. A drift was already forming against the lower panes. Putting my ear close to the window, I could distinguish from the gleeful tumult within, the disconsolate moan of the wind outside. Probably, if I had lately left a good home and kind parents, this would have been the hour when i should most keenly have regretted the separation that wind would then have saddened my heart this obscure chaos would have disturbed my peace as it was i derived from both a strange excitement and reckless and feverish i wish the wind to howl more wildly the gloom to deep into darkness and the confusion to rise to clamor
0: so goth <laughs> I also wonder if Jane is a reliable narrator when she talks about her own loneliness. I think that's
1: actually a really good question about Jane and her retelling of these years specifically and like her fortitude in the face of that isolation and loneliness.
0: It seems like whenever you are desirous of more than excitement, when you're desirous of chaos and danger, it's probably because you're trying to fill an emptiness. Mm-hmm. So I do think she's a bit of an unreliable narrator. Yeah. Recalling her own internality in some ways.
1: Jumping over forms and creeping under tables, I made my way to one of the fireplaces. There, kneeling by the high wire fender, I found Burns, absorbed, silent, abstracted from all around her by the companionship of a book which she read by the dim glare of the embers. Is it still Rassilus? I asked, coming behind her. Yes, she said, and I've just finished it. And in five minutes more, she shut it up. I was glad of this. Now, thought I, I can perhaps get her to talk. I sat down by her on the yeah she's like totally okay with her isolation and loneliness what is your name besides burns helen do you come a long way from here i come from a place further north quite on the borders of scotland will you ever go back i hope so but nobody can be sure of the future you must wish to leave lowood no why should i i was sent to lowood to get an education and it would be of no use going away until i had attained that object but that teacher miss Scatcherd, is so cruel to you cruel Not at all. She is severe. She dislikes my faults. And if I were in your place, I should dislike her. I should resist her. If she struck me with that rod, I would get it from her hand. I should break it under her nose. Probably you would do nothing of the sort. But if you did, mister Brocklehurst would expel you from the school. That would be a great grief to your relations. It's far better to endure patiently, a smart which nobody feels but yourself than to commit a hasty action whose evil consequences will extend to all connected with you. And besides, the Bible bids us return good for evil.
0: I hate whenever I have these conversations with people when they suddenly decide that they're gonna take the high road. It is one of like the most frustrating things in the world to me
1: I mean Helen Burns is the high road like she just unwavering high road
0: here yeah I mean she's based on a prematurely dead sister so you know but I also but I just want to speak from a personal perspective like you come to someone and you're like I am offering you commiseration I am empathizing with Mm -hmm. you when I don't have to and then they're like actually I'm better than you as a person I hate that (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Jane does too.
1: (laughs) But then it seems disgraceful to be flogged and to be sent to stand in the middle of the room full of people. You're such a great girl. I'm far younger than you. And I could not bear it. Yet, it would be your duty to bear it.
0: Oh my god.
1: If you could not avoid it. It is weak and silly to say you cannot bear what it is your fate to be required to bear. That's a really good point. Yeah, I feel like in this moment, like, this isn't Helen, dead sister. This is... The plight of womanhood, right? Like, you're required to bear. So, like, stop fucking complaining.
0: Yeah. But also just, like, there is something, I think, more broadly humanistic about that where you cannot really predict the hand you're going to be dealt completely. Yeah. Yeah and you'll be able to tolerate so much. I remember listening to an episode of This American Life and this family had a child who was, I think, had pretty severe ASD and they said they were always so annoyed by people being like, I could never do what you do. And they were like, well, of course you would. Like, you have a child. Mm -hmm. You have to. Like, it's not like I signed up for this. Yeah. But I think we like to think in those terms because we like to feel like we have some control over our own destiny. And Helen is so resigned in that very christian way yes yes i
1: heard her with wonder i could not comprehend this doctrine of endurance and still less could i understand or sympathize with the forbearance she expressed for her chastiser still i felt that helen burns considered things by a light invisible to my eyes i suspected she might be right and i wrong but i would not ponder the matter deeply like felix i put it off to a more convenient season. You say you have faults, Helen. What are they? To me, you seem very good. (laughs) Then learn from me, not to judge by appearances. I am, as Miss Scatcherd said, slatternly. I seldom put and never keep things in order. I am careless. I forget rules. I read when I should learn my lessons. I have no method. And sometimes I say, like you, I cannot bear to be subjected to systematic arrangements. This is all very provoking to Miss Scatcherd, who is naturally neat, punctual, and particular. And cross and cruel, I added. But Helen Burns would not admit my addition. She kept silence. Is Miss Temple as severe to you as Miss Skatchard? At the utterance of Miss Temple's name, a soft smile flitted over her grave face. Miss Temple is full of goodness. It pains her to be severe to anyone, even the worst in the school. She sees my errors and tells me of them gently. And if I do anything worthy of praise, she gives me my mean liberally. One strong proof of my wretchedly defective nature is that even in her ex postulations so mild so rational have not influenced to cure me of my faults and even her praise though I value it most highly cannot stimulate me to continued care and foresight that is curious, said I. It is so easy to be careful. For you, I have no doubt it is. I observed you in your class this morning and saw you were closely attentive. Your thoughts never seemed to wander while Miss Miller explained the lesson and questioned you. Now, mine continually rove away when I should be listening to Miss Scatcherd and collecting all she says with assiduity. Often I lose the very sound of her voice. I fall into a sort of dream. Sometimes I think I am in Northumberland and that the noises I hear round me are the bubbling of the little little brook which runs through deep den near our house then when it comes to my turn to reply i have to be wakened and having heard nothing of what was real for listening to the visionary brook i have no answer ready yet how well you replied this afternoon it was mere chance the subject on which we had been reading had interested me this afternoon instead of dreaming of deep den i was wondering how a man who wished to do right could act so unjustly and unwisely as charles the first sometimes did and i thought what a pity it was that with his integrity and and conscientiousness, he should see no farther than the prerogatives of the crown. If he had but been able to look to a distance and see how what they call the spirit of the age was tending, still, I like Charles the first. I respect him. I pity him, poor murdered king. Yes, his enemies were the worst. They shed blood they had no right to shed. How dare they kill him? Ellen was talking to herself now. She had forgotten I could not very well understand her, that I was ignorant, or nearly so, of the subject she discussed. I recalled her to my level. And when Miss Temple teaches you, do your thoughts wander then? No, certainly not often, because Miss Temple has generally something to say which is newer than my own reflections. Her language is singularly agreeable to me, and the information she communicates is often just what I wish to gain. Well then, with Miss Temple you are good? Yes, in a passive way. I make no effort. I follow as inclination guides me. There is no merit in such goodness.
0: We were talking with Scarlett Peckham, and she said, you know, your first book is always for you, and so you'll always have these kind of wandering pieces that don't really tightly tie into the rest of the story and and we were also talking about that in terms of just like early romance meaning like 70s, 80s they would have these like big sweeping world building pieces and I think this chapter feels like really personal project for Charlotte of bringing her sister back to life, reliving time with her sister mm-hmm. but I also think there's something to be said for books of this era you were really building an entire world an entire psyche, an entire human experience and so these things that might seem irrelevant to the larger plot to the larger driving story are still given you know this great amount of care there's no kind of self-consciousness to brontë's writing here.
1: I think that's right. This seems to be spending time with Helen in a way that's like reliving a beloved sister, but also like everything that she's saying here like that whole thing about Charles the first, that feels like massive foreshadowing for Mr. Rochester, that whole thing about like goodness that's easy isn't goodness at all, and that following your natural inclination is fine but like that isn't where the merit comes in, like that feels like a project of the book.
0: Mm, that's a really good point
1: point. There is no merit in such goodness. A great deal. You are good to those who are good to you. It is all I ever desire to be. If people were always kind and obedient to those who are cruel and unjust, the wicked people would have it all their own way. They would never feel afraid, and so they would never alter, but would grow worse and worse. When we are struck at, without a reason, we should strike back again very hard. I am sure we should. So hard as to teach the person who struck us never to do it again. You will change your mind, I hope, when you grow older. As yet. You are but a little untaught girl. But I feel this, Helen. I most dislike those who, whatever I do to please them, persist in disliking me. I must resist those who punish me unjustly. It is as natural as that I should love those who show me affection or submit to punishment when I feel it is deserved. Heathens and savage tribes hold that doctrine, but Christians and civilized nations disown it. How? I don't understand. It is not violence that best overcomes hate nor vengeance that most certainly... Heals injury. What then? Read the New Testament and observe what Christ says and how he acts. Make his word your rule and his conduct your example. What does he say? Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and despitefully use you. Then I should love Mrs. Reed, which I cannot do. I should bless her son John, which is impossible. In her turn,
0: who's John? Who's Mrs. Reed? <laughs> At least you know who Charles the Great is. <laughs>
1: In her turn, Helen Burns asked me to explain, and I proceeded forthwith to pour out in my own way the tale of my sufferings and resentment. Bitter and truculent when excited, I spoke it as I felt without reserve or softening. Helen heard me patiently to the end. I expected she would then make a remark but she said nothing. Well, I asked impatiently, is not Mrs. Reed a hard-hearted bad woman? She has been unkind to you, no doubt, because, you see, she dislikes your cast of character, as Miss Scatcherd does mine, but how minutely you remember all she has done and said to you. What a singularly deep impression her injustice seems to have made on your heart. No ill usage so brands its record on my feelings. Would you not be happier if you tried to forget her severity, together with the passionate emotions it's excited? Life appears to me too short to be spent in nursing animosity or registering wrongs we are and must be one and all burdened with faults in this world but the time will soon come when i trust we shall put them off in putting off our corruptible bodies when debasement and sin will fall from us with the cumbrous frame of flesh, and only the spark of the spirit will remain. The impalpable principle of life and thought, pure as when it left the creator to inspire the creature. Once it came, it will return, perhaps again to be communicated to some being higher than man, perhaps to pass through gradations of glory, from the pale human soul to brighten to the Seraph. Surely it will never, on the contrary, be suffered to degenerate from man to fiend. No, I cannot believe that. I hold another creed which no one ever taught me and which I seldom mention but in which I delight and to which I cling for it extends hope to all it makes eternity a rest a mighty home not a terror in an abyss besides, with this creed I can so clearly distinguish between the criminal and his crime I can so sincerely forgive the first while I abhor the last which this creed revenge never worries my heart degradation never too deeply disgusts me injustice never crushes me too low I live in calm looking to the end Helen's head always drooping sink a little lower as she finished the sentence i saw by her look she wished no longer to talk to me but rather to converse with her own thoughts she was not allowed much time for meditation a monitor a great rough girl presently came up exclaiming in a strong cumberland accent helen burns if you don't go and put your drawer in order and fold up your work this minute i'll tell miss Scatcherd to come and look at it Helen sighed as her reverie fled and getting up obeyed the monitor without reply as without delay.
0: You know, I think we'll return to this conversation as we get towards the very end of the novel and kind of see how this book positions how to be a good person, what it asserts is necessary for happiness, true happiness, Mm -hmm. in particular as a woman. Because I think the book thinks it's going to neatly resolve, but I don't think it does. I don't think it does either. And I
1: think also that the book is laying the seeds of that own tension where it's like Helen appears saintly but nothing that Jane has said the text disagrees with right like Helen saintly and she has a creed that the text values but the injustices that jane discusses are like no less valuable to like the sense of feeling or like Mm -hmm. her comportment as far as the text is concerned like the text thinks that helen's being treated unfairly
0: but there still is like this real clear parallelism Mm -hmm. between the beginning of the book which is easier to forget than the ending which sort of resonates more in my mind yeah all right any other thoughts Re-chap six. No, I just really love this. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, with that, loosen your jeans. But never your airs. Mwah.